Hello, I'm Michael L. Harris, and this is Midwest Entertainment Review, a place where I share my honest thoughts about the entertainment that I've seen throughout the Midwest with a concentration on northern Indiana. In this episode, I'll be sharing a lot about the many events that I've seen since the last episode and about some of the many online and live entertainment opportunities that are available even during the pandemic. The Round Barn Theater at the Barns of Napanee continues its inaugural season with another Christie Stutzman, Bethany Crawford original musical based on the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. I thought long and hard about this production and about my experience in general at the Barnes before writing this review. It took me quite a while to actually formulate my thoughts. In past reviews, I've been a little bit hard on the Barnes, but I believe I've been honest. I've also recognized their efforts toward their stated goal of bringing quality entertainment to this area and utilizing local talent. And I'm happy that they have the desire to bring additional entertainment opportunities to this area. They have, as I have noted, assembled what appears to be, at least on paper, a competent team. And they also used a professional arranger, John Coates, to bring quality orchestrations to the barns, even though they still are not using a live orchestra, which, again, has been my pet peeve for quite some time. But my problem in general with their efforts lies in the fact that they're trying to pump out too many new, previously unproduced shows without sufficient time for development. But before I get into the negatives and my issues with this show in particular, let me begin with some positives. First of all, the cast obviously spent hours rehearsing the dance numbers, which were well choreographed by Molly Hill and well performed by all of the cast members. Alex E. Price's lighting design, with the addition of a number of new lights, was a vast improvement over the Round Barn's past decade of a lack thereof. Price also functions as set designer, operations and stage manager with the assistance of Hope Knopfsinger, and has done a great job of making the show and the facilities run smoothly. Colleen Oler's costume design and generally Tim Parsons' sound and projections were also good. My only problem with the projections was they were placed a little bit low on the backdrop and should have been just a little bit higher for sight lines within the theater. The vocal quality was in general so far above anything the Barnes has previously done that I was actually speechless. So, where did the production go wrong for me? And what is my problem with the Barnes? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the thing. We're talking about a company who bills themselves as a professional theater and is attempting to charge professional prices. And while the elements that I mentioned above are generally at a professional level, other essential elements are not. Professional quality acting is as essential in a professional musical as are the vocalizations of the lyrics. In fact, it could be said that they are one and the same since the actor's transition into song is really another deeper level of expression of what they're trying to communicate up until that moment. Unfortunately, the quality of the acting was not what I would consider professional. Perhaps the two most important characters in A Christmas Carol are Scrooge and Tiny Tim, and neither one of them was up to snuff from my perspective. Tiny Tim, however, was double cast, and I only saw the one cast. The boy that I saw, whose name I will not mention for obvious reasons, appeared to be mentally handicapped and struggling to find his lines. I'm not saying this to be mean, and I appreciate the fact that if indeed he was handicapped, the theater is trying to make some room for performers with disabilities. But in a role such as that of Tiny Tim, it needs to come across as believable, even if performed by an actor with disabilities. And of course, there's nothing in the program to indicate that this was the case. So I don't even know that it is. 
All I can say is that this particular actor, on the particular night that I saw him, appeared not to have a full grasp of the material and needed assistance from the other cast members, who were very kind, by the way, in helping him meet his marks and come across on time with his vocalizations. Again, I emphasize that if he was disabled, it's admirable that they've made an effort at inclusion, and the rest of the cast was so supportive it was just really amazing. But he was not effective in the central emotional focus of this epic story. Scrooge, played by Caleb Shaw, was a combination of Jim Carrey and Mr. Magoo and was not convincing at either one. Indeed, there were many elements of this production that seemed to be directly transposed from other musicals and many character interpretations that were also transposed. The opening sequence, for example, seemed to be an attempt to recreate the Who Will Buy, Town Awakening, Beautiful Day, Hope for a New Life scene from the 1968 movie Oliver, which I loved, by the way, and starred Mark Lester. As noted above, many of the scenes were reflective of the most recent Jim Carrey version of the story, with a few Muppets and Mr. Magoo moments thrown in. The most proficient acting moment for me was Matthew Olson's enthusiastic Fezziwig. I still found, however, as in other Round Barn productions, that the cast generally lacked the ability to interact with one another. There were a number of moments when the cast moved into place for the big dance number, only to have to vamp until the music track was ready for them to begin. Another big reason why I feel that a live orchestra is essential to good musical theater. A good conductor can transition an orchestra into a number, helping make the production a seamless series of meaningful moments, rather than going from one performance moment to another in a broken chain of events temporarily placed on pause between its parts. And someone please keep the caffeine away from Noah Troyer before performance? Oh my. I've seen Noah Troyer in a number of productions. Most recently, I reviewed his performance in The Little Mermaid at Elkhart Civic and thought that he did a good job. But at the Barnes, he turned into a warble on steroids. His over-the-top, upstaging performance in A Christmas Carol left me wondering if I had the right kid. He was great in The Mermaid, but he's on my coal for Christmas list at the Barnes. And unfortunately, Bethany Crawford's book again left me feeling flat. From an artistic perspective, I feel that the motivation in writing a new version of an old tale should be to add something new, an exciting spark or a new insight into the story that we've seen a hundred times. Miss Crawford's book did not do that, and in fact, the only reason that I could see for writing this new version of A Christmas Carol was as a place to showcase Christy Stutzman's songs. As previously stated, I do believe that Mrs. Stutzman is a talented writer, but my biggest problem is that the current philosophy that seems to exist at the Barnes is, let's pump out another original show without taking the necessary time to develop it. And while Mrs. Stessman's songs were good, they're not something that I came out of the theater humming and kept humming all week because I couldn't get them out of my head. More time and development might have fixed that. Currently, there appear to be five original shows in the six that are slated for the 2021 season at the Barnes. That, in my opinion, is just too quick a turnaround to fully develop five shows which have never previously seen the light of day, or in this case, in the 2021 season, I guess, two of the shows have ventured into the light and three have not. Hopefully, the Barnes team has learned something from the two shows that they did debut this year and will use that insight to improve them prior to the next season. My fear is that in pushing out new work so quickly without the necessary time for development, the Barnes will actually chase away their fans before they can solidify a fan base. I also wonder that if releasing the Stutzman Crawford shows prematurely will sour an audience to them before they can actually be perfected. And I believe that audiences will tire of paying full price to see the same shows year after year, assuming that is, of course, that they can develop an audience of long-term patrons. I, for one, do not plan on renewing my subscription for next year. There are just 
too many other opportunities for quality entertainment in the area at a much better price point. And while it's certainly not my prerogative to set anyone else's price point, it is my prerogative to redirect my meager theater budget toward shows that I believe are worthy of it. A Christmas Carol continues at the Round Barn Theater at the Barns of Napanee Thursday through Saturday through January 2nd. Tickets are available online or by calling the box office. I currently subscribe to season packages at about five other theaters and see over a hundred concerts, plays, and events each year. And I do so on a fairly modest budget. Honestly, I probably pay more for gas than I do for tickets. But with the virtual stuff now, I can do a good share of my viewing from home. In fact, I just watched two wonderful virtual presentations. And there are many more on the docket to be seen. The American Blues Theater of Chicago did a wonderful Zoom presentation of the radio version of its a Wonderful Life. It was really fun and actually quite heartrending. And you see, this is what I mean when I talk about professional theater. I'm watching a show on camera from my office and I'm just as entertained as I would have been if I was there. Uh, okay, well, I prefer to be there, but either way, it was fantastic. Similarly, Stage Left Theater, another Chicago-based theater company, did a compelling original online production called The Projects. For a small-town white guy who grew up about as far away from the projects as is possible, it was a fascinating look both at life in the projects and the maze of systematic incompetence that perpetuates the inner-city poverty and violence. If you have the opportunity, and there are many more performances, I highly suggest that you purchase a ticket to the projects. Details at www.stageleftheater, with an R-E instead of an E-R, dot com. Tell them Michael sent you which will mean absolutely nothing to them, but it sounds like something I should say at this point. Bethel College's production of The Twelfth Night was not, however, as successful as I would have liked, but it's a college production in a new world. I can cut them some slack for 15 bucks a pop. <laughs> there are a plethora of online concerts. There are really too many artists to mention, so just check out your favorite through Bands in Town or check out Stage It or Sessions or any of the online services. I recently saw Amy Lou Harris and a young country singer named Mason Ramsey. One of my favorites, Lyra Lynn, was slated to do a concert at the City Winery of Nashville on Mandolin, but had to cancel at the last minute. These online events are really great shows with high production values and a fairly intimate atmosphere, and yet they're generally at a very reasonable price. Some are free. Most are at the $15 to $20 point value. Check it out. And now for a brief abridged review of the complete history of America abridged, currently in production by Elkhart Civic Theater at the Bristol Opera House in Bristol, Indiana. While I can't say I was overwhelmed by the show, it was the show itself that I had trouble relating to. The three seasoned actors who scurried around the stage like mice on hemp did a fantastic job. I just didn't find the play itself that personally engaging. But this is just one of those personal taste things, and it may be the best thing that you've seen. Maplewood Nature Center, one of the LaGrange County parks, is having its annual Maple Syrup Festival on December 12th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. There are wagon rides, children's crafts, and a good many maple treats. See how maple syrup is made and taste it. In mid-February through mid-March, they are also having a series of maple tours for school children. Check with the park's office for details. 260-854-2225. If you have specific questions about area entertainment, or if you're a venue owner and would like me to review one of your shows, you can contact me, Michael L. Harris, by email at sastunemedia at gmail.com. That's S-A-S-T-U-N-M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. 
to help offset the cost of this production, we gladly accept tips and donations. Just go to sastunemedia.com, click on the podcast tab, and follow the Help Support This Project button to contribute. Michael L. Harris is a proud member of SAG-AFTRA, and this podcast is produced under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Original music for this production was written, recorded, and produced by Mark McPeak. The full script of this production is available in printed form at Midwest Entertainment Review, all one word, dot blogspot dot com. The opinions expressed herein are just that, opinions, and they are the opinions of Michael L. Harris at the time of production. They're not definitive and not intended to offend or demean any person, production, or venue mentioned herein, and they are subject to change. This program is the property of Sastoon Media and MLH Media, LLC, copyright 2020, All rights are reserved.